last fall as Pastor Nick and I were uh, plotting out the preaching schedule for the coming year, we were praying and asking God, what, what might God want to say to his church here at Knox? And as we prayed and discerned, one of the series that we planned was this series that we're entering into now. It's on the book of Revelation. We put it after Easter as we thought Revelation is this beautiful vision of the resurrected, risen Lord Jesus. Um, so this morning we're beginning this series. Now, it happens at a time that we could never have imagined in, back in the fall. But I'm convinced the Holy Spirit is doing something in this because I can't think of a better book for people who might be experiencing fear. I can't think of a, a more hopeful message to invigorate uh, a fearful heart. I can't imagine a more powerful vision to inspire courageous discipleship than the book of Revelation. Now maybe that surprises you because for many people when they think of the book of Revelation, they might have a few other thoughts. They might think, this is just a really confusing book that's hard to understand. Or this is just a doomsday book about end times that is really scary. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? Well, that's not what Revelation is about. Because Revelation speaks good news for you. It speaks good news for our city. It speaks good news for our entire world. And I hope you're ready to hear it. But let's begin with a word of prayer first. So join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this wild, woolly book called Revelation. It is sort of an untamed word, God. And we pray that you would open us up, open up our minds, our imaginations, our hearts to hear, to receive this good word that Revelation speaks to us. We ask this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Now, before we dive into the book of Revelation, um, let me offer just a quick few observations about the book of Revelation. I want us to help give us a feel for how the book functions and operates. Um, I put together some more detailed notes that you can download, and those are in some of the links on the YouTube live stream page that we have below. You can check those out later on. But first, the book is called Revelation. Singular, not revelations, plural, revelation, and it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This book gives a vision, a grand vision of who Jesus is. The word revelation is really a translation of the word apocalypse. That's the first word of the book, apocalypse. Now, when you think of apocalypse, what comes to mind? Um, for most of us, when we think of apocalypse, we are thinking catastrophic events, cataclysmic wars, diseases, dread, doom that ends the world, right? Not so. That is not what people reading this first letter of uh, this letter, this apocalypse, would think. An apocalypse literally is an unveiling of something, a revealing. So when you lift the top off of a box and you get to see what's inside, that's an apocalypse. It's a revealing. When you pull back the curtain and see something that was always there but was hidden from view until you pulled back the curtain, that is an apocalypse. That is a revealing. And so revelation is this revealing of the presence, the powerful, glorious, resplendent presence of Jesus Christ. And the book means to, to overwhelm us in some sense, to overwhelm our hearts and minds with the grandness and the goodness of who Jesus is. Second observation is that the book of Revelation is a letter. 
It's a pastoral letter to seven different churches in Asia Minor, which is uh, modern-day Turkey. And the whole thrust of the book is to encourage the faith, to strengthen these Christians who are facing a real crisis, and they needed help. They needed a new, a renewed vision of who Jesus is. And so the message, the whole goal of the book is pretty much summarized this. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Look at who Jesus is. The goal of the whole book is to just get rid of our fears and overwhelm us with a picture of who Jesus is. One last observation is that the purpose of Revelation is to help us see reality. The critical conviction underlying the whole book, underlying apocalypse, is things aren't what they seem. What you see is not all the reality that is going on. There is more <clears throat> going on. And so you need an apocalypse and a revelation to see that fuller, that bigger reality. And the great unseen reality <clears throat> that revelation shows us is the living, shining presence of Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, there's so much to introduce uh, to Revelation so that we understand it wisely and well. Um, so many people have gone off in really unhelpful directions when they come to Revelation, and I want to avoid that with all of us. And so, again, a few introductory notes. You can download that a little bit later on. Um, but let's dive in today. Today, what I want to do is walk through chapter 1, through the portions that we haven't read um, because Revelation is actually meant to be read out loud together. Uh, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words, and blessed is the one who hears it. So, listen, starting in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. Now, island of Patmos, real quickly, it's not a vacation island. Um, this is not a, a little trip John is taking. It, it's a place of exile, a place where political enemies of the Roman Empire were placed. It's probably a contemporary version would be Manus Island. You know, when refugees came to Australia, they were quickly sent and detained in Manus Island. Um, Patmos is like that. It's not a place you want to be. So John is on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. So on Sunday, he's worshiping. He's in the spirit, aligned with God's spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. John heard a voice behind him, which is telling us it's, it's not something that, that's playing off in his head. He's not just thinking these things, but there is an experience happening outside of himself. And the voice was like a trumpet. Now, what do trumpets do? Trumpets mostly signal the coming of a king, a queen, a leader. This voice, like a trumpet, announces the presence of the living God. And the voice said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Now, any of John's readers probably would have known right away what those lampstands were all about. 
because in the temple in Jerusalem, just before the Holy of Holies, there was a seven-branched lampstand. And it was the priest's job to keep those lamps burning. And what John is seeing here is a sanctuary. It's a holy place. It is the meeting place of God. And in this vision, Jesus is revealing to John that his life of exile, his life of isolation on that miserable island of Patmos, that was as holy a place, a place to meet God as that temple in Jerusalem was. And so through the Spirit of God, the revelation that comes in that place was of a sanctuary, of a place where Jesus lives and dwells with his people. Now think of the implications of that. Wherever you are today, um, in your lockdown isolation today, wherever you are right now as you hear these words, the living Jesus Christ is present through his Holy Spirit. I pray that God reveals that to each of us today, that we know the reality of that. John continues, and in the middle of the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. So in the middle of the lampstands, John would later learn that these lampstands are the churches, the seven churches. And there in the middle of the church is Jesus Christ, the light of which those lampstands represent. What's being revealed here? is that Jesus is present wherever his church is. Now this is a remarkable thing. Wherever the church is, the living Christ is present. The living, risen Lord Jesus, the Lord of history, the one to whom every ruler and king, every prime minister and president will bow down and worship, that Jesus has chosen to make himself known and present in the church. And then John continues to describe this vision of Jesus. Now, I want you to just hold the, the, the picture here of Jesus that John sees. We'll take it in just detail by detail. First, John says, the hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow. Those words reveal something of the limitless of Jesus, the timelessness of Jesus. He is the ancient of days. He is without time. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is the beginning. He's the end. He has seen the rise and fall of every kingdom, every government. He has seen philosophies and leaders come and go. There's nothing that surprises this Jesus. These, these words declare something of his wisdom. Jesus, Jesus knows what's going on. White like wool and white as snow. That draws on a whole lot of biblical imagery. Those words declare the purity of Jesus, the forgiveness he offers. Those are words that recall the psalm which says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Those words recall the, prophet, the prophetic promise that says, through your, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be whiter than snow, like wool. Then we read his eyes are like blazing fire. Jesus is not only pure, but he's purifying. Christ's gaze, those fiery eyes, purify us. And they don't just look at us, they look into us, which is scary and sometimes painful, but ultimately freeing. Jesus looks right through all of our pretense, all of the bluffs we keep up, and all the 
garbage we carry, and he purifies us. He forgives us. He burns it all away. And then his feet. His feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. Jesus, uh, John is picking up an image from the prophet of Daniel. And in Daniel, you might remember, there's this statue. And it's composed of a whole bunch of different materials. But its feet, its feet are made of clay and iron. And ultimately, those feet can't sustain and they break. And it's symbolic of how the kingdoms of this world just cannot bear the weight of the leadership they carry. And what we look for is one who can carry that weight. And here we have one. We have Jesus Christ whose feet are steady. It's a firm foundation on which the concerns of the world can rest. They are feet that have been tested by fire they are sure and steady and true and then it says in his right hand he held seven stars later on John tells us that the seven stars are the seven churches but what a reader first would have thought of right away was that these were the planets this is this is the constellation of planets the universe itself because in that time seven planets were known And it was a world that believed that those planets guided the destinies of life on earth. Those planets, named after gods and goddesses, guided the movements of history, determined the destinies of people. But the vision is Jesus holding those stars in his hand. Jesus, the ruler of all things, is the one who guides history. And then coming out of his mouth is this sharp, double-edged sword. Jesus comes not with a sword, but something like it. Not with violence, but with a word that penetrates, that cuts. His word is like a sharp sword. It cuts through our resistance. It divides between right and wrong, between good and evil. It penetrates deep. And it says his face was like the, shining, the sun shining in all its brilliance. Think of that, the face of Jesus shining like the noonday sun. Have you ever looked up and seen the noonday sun? I mean, you can look at it for a second or two, but mm, you got to turn away very quickly, right? It's hard to have a sustained look. That sun shining, beaming down on all of, with all of its brilliance it speaks of the holiness, the burning holiness of God. And yet, it speaks of the blessing of God, too, because throughout Scripture, the shining face of God is a picture of the blessing of God. And so here you have Jesus, the shining face with all his glory, with his purifying holiness, and yet he shines on us, not to crush us, but to bless us. And then I passed over something you might have noticed. I did it intentionally. Um, In the middle, at the very center of the description of who Jesus is, is the voice of Jesus. And we read this, And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Have you been to a place where there's a rushing water? Maybe it's a, a fast-flowing river or a waterfall. It's a fascinating thing what happens. Though The rushing water creates sort of this sonic environment that, that hushes all the other sounds around it. Think of Jesus' voice that drowns all the other voices out. All those voices that call for our allegiance, for our attention. That voice of Jesus commands our attention. And that voice is placed right at the center of the description of Jesus because it is meant to be the focus. Voice, it's really the dominant image right here in, in chapter 1. In verse 17, uh, verse 10, we hear, I heard a voice. And verse 12, I turned to see the voice. And then verse 18, his voice was like the sound of a rushing water. 
this voice of Jesus, it's, it's, it's placed right here at this central part of the vision of Jesus in Revelation, which tells us something. It tells us that listening is probably the most critical discipline of any follower of Jesus. And in the next chapter, chapter 2 of Revelation, John writes seven letters to seven different churches, well, Jesus does, and the one repeated refrain in all the churches is, let he who has ears hear, listen, hear. And what does the voice of Jesus say? Well, here in chapter 1, there's two commands that are given, that two commands that are spoken. These two repeated commands come again and again in Revelation. In verse 17, we read this, do not be afraid. And then, the second command in verse 18, the voice says, look. Sometimes it's translated, behold. These two commands, they're connected. You know, it's not enough for someone to say, do not be afraid. Because all of a sudden we ask, why not? Give me a reason for not being afraid, right? We're looking at this COVID pandemic and some people say, don't be afraid. It can feel a little shallow sometimes. Like, give me a reason to not be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he says, look. And those two realities are connected. We will stop being afraid when we start looking at Jesus. When our vision, when our imaginations are overwhelmed by the grandness and the goodness of who Jesus is. In Revelation, Jesus is calling the early church to listen because they, they were distracted. We can relate, right? We're, we're a distracted people, not only by all our digital devices, but by global situations right now. And that early church, their hearts were dominated by other voices, voices that said, your safety, your protection, your future rests in military, in economic, in political power, in the Roman Empire. So if you would just worship Caesar, all will be well. We become afraid, too, when we're not looking at Jesus, when we get distracted, when we get pulled off center, when our vision gets dominated by cultural factors, political, economic factors. Which makes me wonder, what, what voice is speaking loudest in your life today? What voice has you handed the microphone of your life to so that it speaks and booms loudly? And I'm also wondering, in this COVID-19 pandemic, where we are forced to limit ourselves, where we are obliged to be still, to be quiet. I can't help believe, but that God is inviting us, calling his church to listen again. I wonder if God is saying to his church, can you stop all your imitating of the world, all this pursuit of busyness and productivity and efficiency, all this striving, can you instead stop? Can you seek God? Can you listen? Can we develop the ears to hear God again? Is this a time, I wonder, to enter, to really embrace this quietness, to listen for the most important thing you'll ever know, the voice of Jesus? Because here's the truth. We will stop being afraid when we start looking at the ascendant of Jesus, when our, when our vision is overwhelmed by who Jesus is. When we, we will stop being afraid when we are overwhelmed with the goodness, the grandness of Christ. Jesus says, look at me. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, 
but, I'm, but, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is saying, I hold the keys to your worst nightmares, to your greatest fears. You do not need to be afraid. And we see because we first listen. We hear his voice. And then we're able to look and be overwhelmed by Jesus. We're, and then we're able to no longer be afraid because we see what Revelation reveals to us, that at the center of reality is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what sits at the center. We have been fooled to think that so many other things sit at the center of reality. The center of reality is not Ottawa. It is not Washington. It is not Beijing. The center of reality is not the WHO. It is not Bay Street. It is not Wall Street. It is not Zoom or Google or Apple or whatever corporation. And all those things, they're good things. But the center of everything is the person of Jesus Christ. And whatever is not true to Jesus, whatever is not centered on his way, it's on the margins. This is what Revelation is telling those early Christians. These were Christians who were persecuted. They were living on the margins, on the edges of Roman society. That's what it made them feel like. But Revelation says, no, 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 don't ever feel marginalized because if you are in Christ, you are at the center of things. You are at the center of reality. And this is a call for us here in the West too, where it feels like the church has been pushed to the side. We can easily feel small and unimportant and irrelevant because of our faith. Culture does that all the time, right? It distracts us from, from seeing what sits at the center of all things. And so we're led to think that we'll find safety or our value or influence or importance um, through something more than Jesus. We've allowed our vision, our souls to become eccentric, off-center. We're swayed by this illusion that Jesus isn't the center of things, that something else sits at the center of reality. And you know what we need? We need an apocalypse. We need a revelation, a fresh vision of who Jesus Christ is, that he is the center of all things. The risen, powerful, glorious Jesus Christ. So here's my prayer for us, friends, that God may unplug our ears so that we might hear, so that then God might open our eyes so that we might see so that we might see reality, see Jesus Christ in all his sacrificial splendor, in all his wild grace, in all his humble power, so that then we will not be afraid, so that then we will live lives of hope and faith and courage. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.